Welcome to the Successful Athletes Podcast presented by Trainer Road, where we interview successful athletes to make you a faster cyclist. And in this case, we are joined by an athlete out of Palo Alto, California, John Caslow. What's up, John? Hey, how's it going? Good, man. Great name, first of all. And secondly, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. H's. They're just superfluous. Who needs them? So, um, so getting into this really quick, this is where we kind of dissect or, or less dissect, but more just look at the different things that you've done. So then hopefully we can find some actionable takeaways for other people. So if you're watching this on YouTube, give it a thumbs up. That will really help because, and if you drop a comment down below about things that we missed, things like questions you have or things that maybe like a question that you have for John that you want to ask or or something about the conversation, drop it down below because that means more cyclists will find this and chances are somebody will find that one nugget of information that they've been waiting for and they'll find it from our conversation. So give it a thumbs up and comment, share this podcast with your friends and rate it on whatever podcast app you're using. We'd appreciate five stars. Just let us know what we can do if we don't earn those five. And of course, Go to trainerroad.com, especially if you want to become fast like John. So we're going to cover that. Uh, but first things first, John, uh, let's cover what you do for work, what your family situation is. And then we have some context before we get into the cycling portion of things. Yeah, totally. So I'm a data scientist um, working out in Silicon Valley. So long hours, you know, 50, 60 hour weeks is the <laughs> is the norm kind of unfortunately. Um, and then, you know, standard kind of the standard as if anyone has a standard family set up, um, <laughs> married, have a, have a dog and a cat, no kids, which, which definitely helps a little bit. Um, and cause Cal, uh, because California and Palo Alto is expensive to roommates as well. So, uh, a lot of people crowded in a, in a house. <laughs> yeah. Such is life, right? Yeah. Especially there in Palo Alto. So what, what got you, you're, you're, you're spending in the world. And it's interesting. Cause I find that like cycling appeals to a lot of very data driven people and being, you know, a data analyst and going through that and that specific side of things, I could see how it aligned with you, but what really brought you into cycling? Yeah, I think it was, I feel like my getting into cycling was very, very happenstance to be, on, <laughs> to be honest. So I was a, I was a tennis player through, through high school. And, you know, that's another like super data driven sport in terms of if you think about like ball placement and all the different tools at your disposal. And, and I think that always kind of worked well with just like I was a math major and all that stuff. Um, and post-college, I was just kind of like looking for another sport, you know, wanted to stay active, stay fit. And tennis is hard on your knees and stuff like that. And so I started cycling just a bit, had my bike from college, like nothing fancy um, did kind of the classic for those in the Bay area, know, like the Portola loop, which is just like a very classic 20 mile loop. It's like maybe a thousand feet of climbing if you're, if you're lucky. And that just seemed like a good way to stay fit. Um, and I did that for like six or seven months <laughs> and I was, uh, I was really bored at, at work on a Friday and was on Twitter and this guy, Phil Guyman went viral. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after we did the, the Letris climb in Colombia, he was like completely flat on the ground. And <laughs> like it was him photoshopped into like all these places, just like lying very inconveniently. Um, <laughs> and so I started watching his YouTube videos and everything. And I was just like, this seems really cool. And he had just announced like the 2019 Fondo. So I just kind of signed up blindly <laughs> um, and didn't really wow. realize what I was getting myself into because the longest climb I had done was like five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> way to throw yourself right into it. That's the deep end right there. Cause that, yeah. that course was not easy. That was down in Southern California and the Malibu mountains and everything. Oh, that's a lot of climbing that you were saying. Yeah. I also, I also did the two day. So, so it was, you know, like 45, 45 miles the first day with like 4,000 feet of climbing and then 80 miles with 8,000 feet the second day. <laughs> oh, wow. 
So you just went straight into it. Uh, prior to that, you had mentioned that you were riding, but you weren't like really training before that, right? No, not at all. Like I was just doing it, you know, because kind of more focused on like caloric burn than, than anything else. Um, didn't have a heart rate monitor or anything though. So it was all just kind of guesstimating. Um, occasionally would like commute to work or something like that if the weather was nice, but it wasn't, wasn't motivated, wasn't goal oriented at all. Yeah. When, when did structure come in for you? It seems like it would be a natural fit. So, yeah. So, so I just looked this out. So Phil like posted his thing on like February 17th. My first trainer road ride was March 6th. <laughs> so <Nice. laughs> I think there's, there's about like a two week period where I was like researching, like, how do you train at cycling? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I discovered smart trainers and that just seemed kind of fit with like, how can I use this time most efficiently? And, and sort of the notion of like all the times you're, you're stopping on, you know, when training outside and, you know, needing, you know, land to, to accommodate um, the notion of like super efficient structure appealed to me. Um, and then I was trying to figure out like what app to use on top of it. And, uh, and I remember the the Reddit post that I saw that was like, if you want to climb a virtual world, use this product. <laughs> but if you want to pass cyclists on the mountain, use Trainer Road. And that nice. really resonated <laughs> with me and, and what I was trying to do. I like that. That's awesome. Uh, whoever that was, thank you. That's fantastic. Uh, that made this podcast possible right here. So, <laughs> um, so when you get into structure, um, like first things first. How did you think, like, how am I going to fit this in to the 50 to 60 hour weeks? You mentioned the appeal of efficiency, but let's actually get into the nitty gritty of when did you start training in terms of like during the day, uh, were you able to train in the mornings or in the evenings, lunchtime? How'd you work it out? Yeah. So going into the office and stuff like during the day was kind of out of the question. Um, and I did a lot of experimentation. So I'd kind of either do it after work and I played around with times there. Cause like dog needs a walk wife needs conversation, yeah. uh, all that good stuff. And I tried the morning, um, and mostly found that like the morning was kind of an abject disaster. Every time I, time I tried to work out in the morning, terrible, like <laughs> didn't work yeah. at all. And, uh, and I found too, like, if I, I started pushing like eight thirty nine o'clock to start training, I'd be up all night. And so really honed in on that sweet spot of like six o'clock to seven thirty is kind of the sweet spot to, to train. And that worked out pretty well for, for quite a while started to get like, you know, I did have to figure out how to juggle the work schedule. So, you know, people <laughs> like to meet later, like to send things later or whatever. And I would have to be like, Hey, like, no, I need to get home. <laughs> so I can train. <laughs> I can always work after that's easier than working out after. So became a, became a priority. That's got, that's the hard part where a lot of people like, so it'd be really easy for us to glaze over that part in this interview. But I think that that's a really important part because it's, um, like prioritization, because the fact is, like you, you mentioned, you know, your, your family, your dog, your house, your, your work, your everything else, there's tons of responsibilities that we have. Did you have anything that helped you like get to a point where it was easier to make that decision of going to prioritize training? Yeah, I think it was actually trying to just remove the element of choice. Like I'd block my calendar so no one could bother me. I'd have a have an alert go off that, at like 545 ish, like, hey, you need to get out and go home. <laughs> and um, as soon as I kind of removed like choice from it, I was like, this is training time that really helped just kind of, I actually work everything around this time rather than trying to train on the, you know, on the side. I think, I think there's kind of a mental shift there of like, you know, I can work and I can work hard to try and get ahead and everything, but like I can afford three and a half hours a week to, to train. That's, that's not an unreasonable ask. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The hard thing is when you don't prioritize it, it seems unreasonable. When you do prioritize it, it does seem reasonable, right? 
Yeah. And I, and I think it's hard to, like, it's easy to let things bleed. We've all probably been sitting there working and we're like, I'm going to stop in just a few minutes. And now it's an hour and a half later and your chance to train or your trans- chance to do whatever's gone. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really important to have those systems in place that can kind of like force the hand a bit more until it becomes more of a habit. And, and even with those that you work with or those that you live with, everything else, the ones that you share your life with, they start to understand that routine too, which can be really helpful. Cause then you have a support system wrapped around that. For me, that's really like my, my wife and I every morning or really every night before we go to bed, we talk about what we have on the calendar for the next day. And one of the things that we talk about is, well, what's your workout the next day? And that's like a, it's really helpful because it keeps it present. And then I know that my wife knows that I have that. And then we can kind of work together to try to balance out the needs. Has that changed at all since, uh, obviously since, since the COVID lockdown hit and we've been working remotely, most of us here listening to this podcast, which this is in you know September of 2020, but, uh, it, has that changed at all? And has your training schedule changed? Yeah, I actually changed it quite a bit um, just because I found I kind of am at peak energy level right around noon each day. And so I'll actually try to, you know, move my meetings around now and say like, hey, I'm going to try and squeeze in an hour to an hour and a half of training um, right right in the middle of the day. And, you know, I can usually sneak away and, and nothing goes too badly. Um, and I just find that that kind of anything to decrease how hard the workout is, if I'm feeling just a percent or two better at noon rather than at 6 p.m., like that's totally worth it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's when the workouts become really tough and you're really pushing things like you're getting into the build phase or the specialty phase and the tricky parts, something like that. It's like every, every percentage helps. <laughs> so we'll yeah, take all exactly. the help we can get. Right. Uh, okay. So, uh, we've talked about the logistics of how you fit it all in. Now let's talk a bit about how you started training for that longer Fondo event. Uh, mm-hmm. you started, you found out about trainer road. What plans did you start with and how'd you organize all of that? Yeah, so so I started with sweet spot base, low volume. Um, all the training for the for the Fondo was on low volume. Um, so I just did like the full progression of sweet spot base one, two, sustained power build, and century specialty. Um, nice. And yeah, and I found like a couple of like mini events, which I guess now in like the plant builder world would be called like C events. That I was like, these will be good checkpoints to make sure I'm <laughs> I'm at least like making progress. So I found like a a 40 mile like fundraising ride um, that they do around here. And then like, I found another one that I think was 65 miles, though not much climbing. And so I'd like kind of drop those in the calendar just as like touch points as well. Mm. Yeah. So then that way you had some, some motivation perhaps before the big one as well, like some good checkpoints there. Yeah. Uh, did you, how did you end up making adjustments to your training? Cause I'm sure they came up at some point. Like, did you find that you worked better? That, like, how did you schedule it throughout the week? Did you find that you had to do more work on the weekends in terms of training or did you shuffle it into the week? Yeah. So, so I was kind of initially very protectionist of the weekends. I kind of figured like that was my time to totally shut off from work and everything. And I didn't really want, like, I kind of, since I removed structure, I, I made structured training, not a choice. I kind of viewed that as like part of work almost. So, so I went Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, and then I said, like, if I feel up for it, I'll do a, an outdoor, just fun ride, whatever I want on, on Saturday or Sunday. Um, and that worked pretty well, but I think what was nice about the low volume plans is like, if I really wasn't feeling it on the Friday, like I'll just kick that workout to Saturday morning, something like that. And, and having that flexibility, um, you know, if I needed to travel or whatever, it was really easy to just adjust those low volume plans and still feel like I was getting kind of everything that I needed. 
That's like one of the biggest things that I tell people start with a low volume plan, just because of that flexibility. And when you're able to hit that at a hundred percent, cause it's contextually designed, it's not as if it's just one third of a high volume plan. It's designed to give you the sort of fitness that you need with the time constraints that are allotted. So, uh, within that, it's really like if instead of following a mid volume plan or a high volume plan at only a fraction per, a percentage of, of compliance, it's much better to go a hundred percent on something that you can manage and then move around and shift. Uh, it's, it's a really smart way to do it. Did, uh, did you find that you, uh, on, on integrating those outdoor rides, did you start to notice improvements along the way? And I guess probably first we should cover is where was your starting point in terms of FTP? Yeah. So, so my starting point, I think I did the, the questionnaire, um, when you first sign up for trainer road and I think it gave me an FTP of like one fifteen, I think <laughs> something uh -huh. super low. And I did the ramp test. And that is still to date my longest ramp test. It was like 35 minutes or something like that. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> you know, like the text gets weirder and weirder. As you yeah. Farther, farther <laughs> yeah. In. Uh, really like wasn't designed. Uh, so it went like 35 minutes. I got an FTP of 164. Nice. Um, oh, cool. And there's a, there's a local climb here called Old La Honda, which was kind of the first like major hill climb I did. First time I did it with no power meter or anything, I think I grinded up in my, I just was immediately in my biggest gear in the back. Like, you know, that feeling when you, you're trying to go down a gear and there's nothing left. <laughs> this, the uh, click of sadness, right? When something, it clicks, but nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. And you, you, you try it like five or six more times. Just, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> just in case. Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. And, and it took me like 35, 36 minutes as well. Like, and, and that's a climb that's like 1500 feet and kind of stays between four and 8%. Um, and, uh, and so I'd kind of use that every couple months or so just to see like, am I getting faster? And I would notice pretty solid improvements, like a minute, minute and a half, which is, you know, pretty big percent increase, um, every time I'd go up it and, and sort of that, that feeling of like, you know, the, the cadence goes from 50 to 55 to 60 to 65, and I'm still in the biggest gear in the back, but that means I'm going a little bit faster. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that, so those are like your benchmarks at first, right? You had those in place. What was, uh, and I guess leading up to the event, uh, one other key part of this is your nutrition, because for somebody that isn't used to structured training and everything else, mm -hmm. like it seems really weird to non-cyclists and they see how much a cyclist eats and how much they take in that sort of stuff. Did you work on your nutrition at all leading up to the event? Yeah. And, and what sort of sparked that was I went to do an outdoor ride, um, and it was the first time I just completely cracked. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> the first climb of the day, it was like a, a six minute climb or so. And I, I set like a best ever five minute power, like just felt really, really good. And then climbs two through four on, on that ride. I, I had the first ever, like, got to just get off and walk this, which was kind of like a, what went wrong kind of moment. Mm -hmm. And that was when I started realizing like, I am not eating nearly enough. <laughs> and I talked to, to a couple cyclists at work and, and one of them, um, she said like, you have to be constantly eating, like whatever you think you're eating, it's not enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, I tried to make it sort of like on the fun side. So like, it was all like sugary sweets that I like fills really into cookies. So, like I'd bring a bunch of cookies and stuff. I tried to keep it like things I thought I would look forward to eating. Um, and that helped. I think the, the biggest game changer for me though, which was a little bit later is when I discovered the thread on the trainer road forum, that was like how to make your own SIS, um, mm -hmm. carb mix. And, and I started just like mixing that at home, um, earlier this year, like this was actually during quarantine and that just gave me like a huge uptick. Like I noticed over unders and 
like any sort of like long workout and long workout outside, that was a huge change in like how hour two, hour three, hour four feels when, when outdoors. It's like cheating, like uh, inside, outside, all of it. Like when you can, when you're really taking in, if you can get to the point where you're like 90 grams of carbohydrate and you can take that in per hour, you get to the point where you're like, okay, this is too easy. My power meter's wrong or like so, something's up. It, it really, it just changes the game entirely. And then the other cool part about that too, is that your body isn't starved of resources in order to recover thereafter as well. So then the subsequent workouts get easier. It's really just a very surefire way to snowball things in the right direction. You know? Yeah. And I, I briefly dabbled with the whole, like, Oh, like I'm going to not eat and do my workout first thing in the morning and I'm going to drop weight and it's going to be awesome. And, um, you know, I think it was like, I want to say it was like a mountain good or something like that. One of those workouts that's like 15 minute intervals or something. And, yeah. and it was like halfway through the second interval, I was just sitting next to the bike on the floor, like hands on my head, <laughs> just being like, what am I doing with my life? And that was when I gave up on any notion of fast in training. Yeah, it's tough. Um, it, it's, it's a point that I think is really, it's initially appealing to us because it's like, hold on. So I don't eat food and I, and then I'll cut fat and I'll also get faster because there are like so many promises with it. Right. But in reality, it's kind of funny because it's almost like you're looking like right in front of you and you're just trying to solve a piece, like a puzzle that's going to get you one inch down the road. When really, if you just take a step back and look, you can do something that's much easier and it's going to take you feet down that road. Right. Like it's, yeah. uh, and that's like trying to get those marginal gains at the sacrifice of what you could become of something much larger. And that's fueling the work. And not only that, but I think it also, um, it creates a healthier relationship with food, which is a complex issue for endurance athletes and people just in general. So, um, when we feel as if, uh, fuel is at odds with our goals of, of performance, we've drifted too far away from true North, like fuel should be part of performance and food is absolutely part of that. So, yeah. And, and it's like, I think there's so much narrative out there around like carbs are bad. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, uh, at one point, like I did like talk to a, a nutritionist, um, and, and she was asking me like what I was eating each day, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and she was just like, do you ever like have ice cream or anything like that? And I was like, eh, like here and there. And she's like, don't worry about it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Eat the bowl of ice cream. Like you're going to burn it off. Like it's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like be okay with that. You know? Yeah. I think it's, it's an important detail. Uh, so what, what did you get your FTP to before the event? Yeah, I think it peaked at around like 240, 242, something like that. Um, nice job. Like but an 80 other, watt increase then. That's impressive. Yeah. And, and I think the other the other piece of that was just like my ability to sustain as well was way better that, that I think wasn't quite captured because um, FTP is kind of just one metric there. Sure. That's, that's, um, man, uh, in fact, we, in, in another podcast that will either be posted before this or after, because we're pre-recording these, uh, we were just talking about that very thing that it's overlooked. Your ability to sustain power is something that absolutely comes from structured interval training, especially indoor training, just because you don't have the interruptions that you have to face when you ride outside. And man, it's, it's a real tangible benefit, especially when you're dealing with long climbs in the Malibu mountains there. So yeah, those are, those are tough climbs. So almost in, so roughly an 80 watt increase over probably the period of what, like six months or so, seven months. Yeah. It would have been from, from March 6th to, to beginning of October. Wow. Uh, so that brought you to, uh, to the event 
uh, I have to ask, did you have any trepidation coming into the event? Because this is largely low volume training, right? Like, yeah. like you weren't doing, these are going to be big, long days when you're doing something where it's for every 10 miles, you're doing a thousand feet of climbing. That ratio means that it's going to be a long day. Like it's not going to be a fast moving day. So were you hesitant at all about having done the low volume training for something like that? Yeah. So, so what I did that I thought was a really good idea at the time was the, the specialty cycle ended right at the date of like Levi's grand Fondo. So I was like, Oh, I'll just do this one too. I'll make all the mistakes. <laughs> um, and then that'll teach me for, for Phil's Fondo. Um, because like, I, I'm one of those people, like I'm a total planner. I get very anxious about the things I can't control. So like I'm the night before like checking sealant levels and everything like that. Like I'm a total, total control freak. Um, so, so I think like, I had a ton of trepidation going into that um, because like, yeah, like the low volume was a bit of a consideration. I think the longest outdoor ride I did was there was like a 65 mile one, but that had basically no climbing. I think the, the most serious one I did was about 50 miles, about 5,000 feet of climbing. Um, and people told me like, if you can do half, like you're good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, There's a lot of truth so, to that really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was terrified. Um, so I enlisted, <laughs> I enlisted a friend of mine who does like all these crazy things. Like she just did a 225 mile gravel race. Um, I convinced her like two days before I was like, can you do Levi's with me? Like, please. <laughs> and, uh, and she was just like, yeah, sure. Like no problem. I'll do 108 miles and 8,000 feet of climbing with you. Um, and, uh, and her thing was just like, go crazy slow. Like the entire first half, like you're just going to be annoyed at how slow we're going. Um, yeah. and I think that that just like really eased the anxiety. It's like one, just having a person there to talk to, to kind of suffer with, et cetera. Um, and to, to like have someone kind of pace you, if you will, um, mm. really, really helped. Um, but yeah, just like a ton of nerves. Anytime you're kind of putting yourself through something you'd never, you've never put yourself through. Um, you know, that definitely comes up and you know, the, the last climb on, on Levi's is the hardest. I think it's, it's yes. basically just like a wall. And so I just spent kind of the first 80 miles in terror, just being like, oh man, am I going to have to hike this thing? I really don't want to hike this thing. <laughs> yeah. That's Coleman Valley road, right? Yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. It's steep. It's very steep. Just straight up from the ocean just goes right up. And then yeah. it also just doesn't seem to end. It kind of goes down, but then it just drags forever until somehow you're back in Santa Rosa. So, yeah. um, that's a, that's, that's a tough one. What did you learn on that day? Uh, going into as kind of like the shakedown event, if you will, for the mm -hmm. next one. Yeah. So, so I think the first thing was like eating. So, so I remember we stopped at, I think it was the second rest stop. We skipped the first one. Um, and I'm waiting in line for the the bathroom and Lois comes running up with like a bunch of cookies and just like puts them in my hand. And she's like, eat this. And then runs away. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, that was kind of weird. Like whatever. And I'm still, I'm still standing there waiting in line. She comes running up with like a peanut butter sandwich. She's like, and eat this too. And then like runs away. Again. <laughs> uh, and so, and so just like, again, like that, that theme of constantly eating was, was pretty crucial. And then, um, just don't waste any time at the rest stops. Like you can take the climbs really slow. You can take them really easy. Like try to do them in sweet spot or tempo if you can. Um, but like, don't waste time at the rest stops. Cause there you're going zero miles per hour. Yes. Uh, and I think that that really helped is like grab what you need and stuff, but like, don't let your muscles lock up. Don't let yourself get stiff. Um, just get what you need to get and get out of there. That's awesome. So, uh, when was Levi's grand Fondo in relation to Phil's Fondo? Yeah, it was three weeks beforehand. Um, Ooh. Close. so yeah, so I sort of knew like, I wasn't gonna, I didn't try to get any more like FTP gains or anything like that. I just kind of 
uh, picked my favorite trainer road workouts that I thought were kind of long, steadier efforts and just kind of air mix those for the three weeks in between. Um, nice. and then we, we headed down to, to LA. It's <laughs> a good approach actually, you know, especially because later on when you have more experience, you start to figure out like what exactly your body needs for a taper. But if you don't know, that's a really good way to do it. Be like, Hey, I enjoyed these workouts and they're similar to what I'll be doing here. I'll try to not overdo it and just kind of step through. I think there's, there's also something for the confidence. Like I have, I have workouts now, like a year and a half in where if I'm just not feeling great on the bike or I'm not feeling great about myself on the bike is the, the more yeah. common one. Um, what are the workouts that I just really like that are an hour, hour and a half and I know I can hit and I just come off feeling, feeling really good and kind of like reigniting that, that fire. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Having those in the back pocket can be, can take a, a day where you feel like you've completely lost your progress and it can actually bring you back up. It's, it's a really helpful thing to do. Let's talk about the event then, uh, with Phil's Fondo, you had the first day and then the second day, what did you learn for that? Were you prepared with this low volume training coming into something that's so big? Yeah, totally. And I think what I was most impressed by is just the ability to come back the next day. Like I didn't feel stiff at all from, from the first day of climbing or anything like that. Um, I think the low volume prepared me perfectly <laughs> there. There's quite a few moments where, you know, you just see the hill and, you know, I do all the prep work of like checking the gradients and everything where I'm like, okay, this one's going to be, it's that 20 minute sweet spot interval that I, that I just <laughs> nailed two weeks ago. Like it's just doing that here. That's um, a good way to look at it. I like that. Yeah. And so, and so just keeping like that power super steady, I think there's a lot of just adrenaline, especially when you kind of have these, these ride outs from town you kind of got a while before you hit the climb or anything. There's, I definitely felt the desire to go a lot faster. Um, and I think that would have been a huge mistake. And, and I just remember like, here's, here's how you step up in the warm up from trainer road <laughs> and, and let's just do that. And then as we start to approach the climb, let's bring it down, you know, everything's working <laughs> and then, and then ride at sweet spot. So, so I think that totally, totally prepared me. Um, and, uh, cool. yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what, what were the hard parts that you came across in the day and how'd you get across, get across those tough points? Yeah, I think the, the hardest thing for me is just like the super steep gradients. Like once you kick above 10, 11%, this is probably not, not the only one that sure. <laughs> this way. Um, and, and I knew that was a weakness of, of mine. And so I did a bunch of, of some of the workouts ahead of time, like at 60 RPM, just to get used to that sensation of pedaling really, really slowly um, at, you know, middling power. I think like every time you grind, there's this desire to like really put everything in every pedal stroke and you're probably going above threshold and you're just going to burn yourself out fairly quickly. Um, so I think that was, that was definitely the trickiest part. Um, and then also, uh, you know, you, you put so much into the climbs, but the climbs are in terms of distance, a small minority of the event there's, there's descending, which is always the fun part, but, but all the flat parts in between. And, um, you know, just thinking like, thinking through all the tactics of like, how do I get in the right pace line, making sure that, you know, I'm, I'm reaping the benefits, not getting anyone that's going too fast and, <laughs> and costing myself there. Um, am I fueling? Cause like, that's the easiest time to fuel stuff like that. Um, and I just felt like the time actually flew by pretty quick. Cause I think I was just like constantly thinking about everything that was upcoming, what I need to do, what I need to be focusing on. Um, it was definitely a, I was like mentally exhausted just as much as physically exhausted at the end of that. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, it, that's the hard part of keeping all of everything in check to have a successful day when it's a long day on the bike. I'm often find that mentally is what I'm most, you know, I'm most exhausted mentally rather than physically. 
we often perceive that as physical exhaustion, but keeping track of all those details to really stay on top of it is tough. It really makes you respect those grand tour racers that we watch and on TV, they're able to do that. And clearly they have teams and systems built around them to be able to support that. But that doesn't mean that every single rider doesn't have a lot on their plate in terms of cognitive load to manage. It's, it's pretty tough. You mentioned at the end of the ride, uh, when you and I were discussing beforehand, you mentioned that at the end of the ride, he came down to a point where you did see a group ahead and, mm -hmm. and you got into that situation. Do you want to relay that experience? Uh, really yeah. So, so the last descent it fills is just like spectacular. It's either like bear Creek or deer Creek. I can't remember the name. Um, and it's just like 20% you have just the ocean like in front of you. So you kind of, the road drops away. You have nothing but blue sky and ocean in front of you. It was just spectacular. Um, and you get to the bottom and then you just have 16 miles of flat back to, back to the start. Um, and I saw a pace group ahead of me. It looked like it was going at a pretty reasonable pace. So I, I put in a bit of an effort to, to get in that. And I hadn't, I just didn't have a ton of experience um, doing like group riding and pace lines. And so I was, was kind of anxious and we're, we're cycling through. There were about five of us. And my first time to pull comes up and, and kind of just, again, going back to, I think it's in, I think it's in either the build or the specialty phase, those, those slightly above like 102, 103% efforts. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to do that. Like, I know exactly what that feels like. I know that workout. I can do this for three to five minutes at 103%. Um, and so I, I start doing that. And after about like a minute and a half or so, the guy behind me just goes, you got to slow down. I can't keep this. <laughs> and that was <laughs> like, it all, awesome. it all paid off at that exact moment. That's cool, man. Yeah. Way to go. And, and, and it's not a hero pull. You're just riding just above threshold. Right. And it's something that you can sustain that that's yeah. like, especially when we talk about pace lines, that's so important to not ride off of just like, you know, pure feel, but then also knowing that like, Hey, here's my feeling, but then also here's the data because it's so easy to get ahead of ourselves. And then suddenly everything becomes really hard. Um, yeah. so, uh, I want to touch back on, on a couple of different things here. So when we talk about your training, you were training, you know, three to five hours a week, roughly uh, is what you were doing. Uh, mm -hmm. really kind of like three to six or four to six is more like what you were doing probably throughout your training plan. And then you had something that was, you know, a whole lot more on, 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 volume. A mm -hmm. big question that a lot of people have is like, well, how am I going to be prepared for that when you went through or th for doing these long events, which is such short training. So I want to step back into this and kind of discuss the things that you did to hopefully give somebody else some confidence that this is how you can use low volume training to do that. Mm -hmm. What obstacles did you come across in your training that made it really tough? Uh, and it, they could be things that you solve for, or like particular workouts or particular type of workouts that you found difficult. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the thing I struggled with the most was actually the the longer intervals. Um, you know, like I was always turning down intensity or, you know, needing to take a lot of backspins or something like that. So I think that was that was always the hardest part. I think like my FTP and you know, like VO2 max, if you will, were kind of ahead of where my muscular endurance was. Mm -hmm. Um and so so I knew that that was kind of like a problem spot going in. <laughs> yeah. Um and so that's where I think like the fueling thing was probably the biggest deal for for that. But also, like, I, I think actually the the rest weeks in some respects help the most with that. So taking those just as seriously, like, I think there's, when I first started, I was like, recovery week, it's a party, like, just do whatever you want, like, have a great time. <laughs> but, you know, pedaling at 75% for an hour or 90 minutes actually, like, really prepared me well in terms of, like, the aerobic base that I needed. Because these events are functionally, like, basically two-hour, you know, intensity factor of, like, 
0.7 to 0.8 for, you know, an hour or two. And then you get, you know, a little bit of recovery and, and food and everything like that, or maybe a downhill or something like that. So I found taking those just as seriously really, really helped. Um, and, uh, and then again, like also just not being afraid to turn down the intensity. I think there was a bit of an ego factor I had at first being like, this is my FTP. I'm supposed to be able to do this. Um, but even getting that Mount Good done at 85% by the time you reach that third interval, like you're still reaping that aerobic benefit that you need for the event. Uh, mm. like just learning how to keep pushing the pedals, even when you're tired, rather than, uh, rather than feeling like you have to hit it at hundred percent because that's what was prescribed. Um, and so, you know, like the last, the last like 10 miles of, of Levi's, which is just kind of on this bike path and it's completely flat. I think I was going like 130, 140 Watts. Well, I guess I know I was going 130, 140 <laughs> Watts and I was not going very fast, but I was like, I kept trying to push it a little bit more. I was like, come on, you know, you have this bigger FTP, you can go 170, 180. And every time I tried, just everything lit up. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, all right, we're doing 130 to the finish and it's going to be a while and that's fine. But, you know, never had to stop or anything like that. Yeah. Very good. That, those are awesome tips. Uh, fantastic tips on helping people get some more out of their training. Um, man, I, I really appreciate this, John. This has been awesome. Uh, so somebody that's been able to take low volume training and see the sort of improvements like you have and be able to see that, uh, what's next for you? Like, do you have any other goals, uh, for racing, assuming that racing comes back fingers crossed over here? Yeah. So, so one of the things just like going through the entire path of discovery, if you will, of like learning all about cycling and everything, I find I do really like the, the kind of like the big five minute efforts and stuff like that. So want to check out like crit racing was kind of the goal, uh, COVID hit. <laughs> so that's, <Yeah. laughs> that's not, not super happening. Um, and, uh, and like rolling road races and stuff like that, like going to try and explore that a little less of like the super long distance stuff and kind of going a little bit faster on the the mid distance, uh, stuff. And I find just, I'm a very goal oriented person. So like me and a buddy organized our, our own Fondo, if you will, <laughs> uh, oh, cool. just to have something to do, um, just to keep the training, like focused on something and, and making progress there. That's awesome. So since we race in the same district, that means we'll probably once racing resumes, we'll probably get to see each other at the races. So that'll be fun. Uh, yeah. to see you there and cheer you on. That'll be a blast. So, yeah. well, cool. John, uh, this is going to be in the trainer road forum. If you search for John's name, that's John J O N Caslow K A S L O W. Uh, you'll be able to find him uh, find the thread that's assigned to this podcast. And I'm sure John will be in there and John will be able to answer any questions that you have. Also, if you have any questions on YouTube, just drop them below, like I was saying before. And if you want to become a faster cyclist like John, you can go to trainerroad.com. Uh, for, if people want to get in touch with you, is the forum the best way or how should people do that, John? Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks everybody. And we will talk to you on the next episode. Take care.